you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. (laughs) I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet. We about to be all ratchet this episode and respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Okay, maybe not all ratchet. Let me get the respectable stuff out the way because I am 38 hot right now over Monique and her bullshit. We're going to save that for a minute. Let me talk about some good black news first. It's BET Awards weekend. It's also Essence Festival weekend. They have two weekends now. But the BET Awards are happening in LA and Essence is doing their virtual festival out of New Orleans. So a bunch of parties this weekend. I only went out to one. And it was because it was a combination of Essence, Hillman Grad, and Macro. Essence is Essence. I will always support Essence. And lo and behold, I'm at the party. I'm flipping through the new issue with Yaya on the cover. And literally, I'm like looking for the fashion or what articles, byline, stuff like that. I'm like a magazine junkie and I'm nerdy that way. And lo and behold, I come across my Pantene ad. I didn't even know it was running in this issue. I never know when it's going to pop up in magazines. Like usually y'all see it and then DM me or a friend will see it and text me. And that's how I know where the ads are appearing or where they're running on the radio. Literally anytime one of y'all hear an ad, y'all tell me about it, which I love. Thank you. That's not the point. The point is Essence always throws really good parties. And I'm really sad that there is no in-person Essence Festival this year. But as a newbie to LA, when the world was still open consistently macro and Hillman grad throw the best parties in the city. You get an invite for one of those, clear the schedule, figure it out. Macro hands down Oscar weekend is the best West coast party I've ever been to. And I was like, Oh, the West coast might not be so bad after all. I think I'll do all right here. They throw amazing parties. Hillman grad, same thing. The very last party that I went to, It was either February or March 2020. It was the last party I went to before the world shut down. And one of my really good friends who works in tech was like, 
you know, like the world is about to shut down. And this is probably the last time we're going to be at a party for like, you know, a year. And I was like, you sound crazy. You can't close outside. But, you know, Lena Waithe, who created Hillman Grad, she had a series of projects coming out. I want to say it was 20s on BET. And then she produced the 40-year-old version, which was on Netflix, which was freaking amazing. If you've never watched it, please do. There was something else. It was, it was at least three or four projects, but there was something at the Paramount campus. And then there was something at Soho House. That was the, that was the screening for 40 year old version. And then had this homecoming party in this like gigantic warehouse downtown. And they had a marching band and a mini step show. And I was like, yo, LA does parties on a whole different kind of budget. So. I'm not really going outside, outside. I'm still selective about what I go outside to. But this party was really, really good. It was um, another warehouse in DTLA. I walked in and like half the people there were from New York. I'm like, who's left in New York? It seems like everybody has moved to LA. So those of you who are, who are on the fence, who are thinking about it, just come west. Just, just join the other three-fourths of us who have already made the transition. Just come west. Everyone's here. Pause. Did you, did you hear that silence? The dog issue has been mostly, mostly resolved. We're down to five barks a day. Down from 30. So five is, is progress. And the dog is not barking in the middle of the night anymore. I've been able to get like a full eight hours of sleep. Do you hear the pep in my voice? I've also had caffeine. So if I sound kind of spastic, that's why. I'm taping in the middle of the day. And Monique pissed me off, so I got like an adrenaline rush. That's not the point. Stick with the point. The point is, it was a really great party. Ciroc was a sponsor. Essence parties, especially for festival, always have really great food. So they had like gumbo and and like a crawfish, a crawfish egg roll. That was really good. That was like my dinner. I thought I was going to go to dinner after the event. And then I was like, I'm full. And and hurricanes. They had hurricanes. I had had a couple of those. (laughs) Remember last week, I was like, oh yeah, I only drink wine. I lied. I didn't mean to lie. It wasn't a lie when I said it. It wasn't intentional, but I lied. Really, really great event with a whole bunch of familiar faces and some new faces. I did meet some really great people. One thing I will definitely give to LA is the networking here is way more intense and way more intentional than New York. People make a point to be like, oh, it's a new face. I don't know who you are. I'm going to introduce myself to you to see if there's any synergy in what I'm trying to do and what you're trying to do. It's actually really um, fun. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but that's what it feels like to me. It's actually kind of fun. It's like putting pieces of a puzzle together for me. But it was a really good party. They streamed in the performances of um, Jasmine Sullivan. She was really good. There was also a Patty performance. And I was like, can we, can we turn the speakers on for that? Oh, we're not turning the speakers on for Patty. Okay. And BBD. I actually wanted to actually hear them, but they were playing other music. It was a good DJ. But I like BBD. I was watching this documentary on Netflix. This is pop. They cover all sorts of things. Like the first one was about the rise and really fall of boys to men, how they were like this big black boy band and they had this reign of the pop and R&B charts for five years. And then how, was it sync or what was the other one? I was never really into white boy bands, but how basically they just, Jack boys to men for all their feel, look, and sound, but because they were white and didn't have to fight to get into the pop market the way boys to men did, because, you know, they're black, it was just an easier end for them and how they just knocked boys to men right off the charts. One of them tells this story about, like, their last album had gone diamond, and he was like, we took a break, nothing excessive, and went back out on the road, and he was like, we used to do, like, these arenas with like tens of thousands of people and we were getting booked at, he said it was a venue that had 500 seats and had a, um, what is it called? A mechanical bull in the middle of it. And he said, and like, there were only 50 people in there. And he was like, what, what the fuck happened? Like, how do we go from these arenas and top of the charts to this? And even thinking about it, like I was like, wait, how long was that break? I don't remember it. I remember Boys to Men being like, everything and those massive hits like end of the road their first album came out i want to say like when i was 11 so i listened to them all through high school 
But by the time I got to college, like they just fallen off. And I thought maybe I just transitioned into something else. But the documentary delves into into what happened to them. And then like the second documentary is if you've been seeing this clip where T-Pain talks about how Usher told him that he ruined music. The second entry is about T-Pain specifically, but also the history of autotune and how it came to be and how every record we've heard since, I don't know, the late 90s has been auto-tuned in some way. It's just T-Pain took it to the extreme. So you can actually hear the vocals being manipulated. The documentary was like, yeah, like auto-tune was like the industry's big secret. You'd have to stay in a studio for like a week and a half with an artist to do one song to get all the vocals right versus with auto-tune, you could do a whole song in half a day. It cut down everybody's budget and made everybody sound better. So it was like, oh, auto-tune. But I felt really bad for, for T-Pain. Even in the clip that's been circulating, there's a look that crosses his face when the interviewer asked him about Usher and ruining music. It just kind of breaks my heart. And like, I don't think any less of Usher. I don't think he's a terrible person for saying it. It's a shit thing to say. Like, let's not like try to clean it up. It's not something that I think Usher could have reasonably foreseen would derail T-Pain and send him into a depression for four years. I think there were other factors that were going on in T-Pain's life and probably some doubt that he had already to make that Usher comment send him into a tailspin. But I really genuinely felt bad for him. Like when he talks about it in the documentary, like he talks about, you know, wanting to create something different and how he spent so much time trying to figure out exactly what auto-tune was. He'd heard the sound before, but he didn't know how to create it because auto-tune was like an industry secret. And he was like, I finally found it and I created this thing. And then everyone told me it wouldn't work, that it was gimmicky. And then I did it. And then it was really successful. And then there's a backlash to this thing that I did. And like people are telling me I'm a horrible person. It wasn't just Usher. There was a lot of anti-auto-tune backlash, which I recall at the time. Also watching that documentary, I wasn't sure if he was actually in a better place. Like he talked about when things turned around for him was with the um, the Tiny Desk concert where he didn't use auto-tune and he sang all of his songs in his real voice. And people were like, oh shit, he can actually sing. T-Pain is a real artist. And he was like, wait, all this time y'all thought I was a gimmick? And I was like, wait, all this time you didn't know we thought you were a gimmick? I guess sometimes like you get like a certain level of fame and you get caught in a bubble and you're just oblivious to what's going on outside it. But I was like, uh, yeah, bro. Like after the Tiny Desk concert, like we were like, oh shit, T-Pain actually can sing. And his lyrics are actually really good. Like his version of like, buy you a drink and, and like without auto-tune, just straight R&B, it's actually a beautiful song. I mean, it's about getting someone kind of tipsy, but not drunk. A drink, not many drinks to get you fucked up, but buy you a drink. I'm going to have a drink. You have a drink. Then we go back to my place and, you know, do consensual things. It sounds like a song about consent with a drink involved. This is a really good documentary. The whole episode was there's a third one on like it's not on ABBA. It's about how like a bunch of American pop songs originate from Sweden. Like the guy who did the Black Panther soundtrack is also Donald Glover's producing partner and did the music for This Is America. So like two of the biggest black pop cultural moments, was that 2018? But like the soundtrack to two of those huge cultural moments, but black cultural moments as well, were greatly assisted by this guy from Sweden. But there's a bunch of Swedes that just like make amazing music. But really good documentary. I highly recommend. I had no intention of talking about that documentary. We were supposed to be talking about the Mary J. Blige documentary, which I don't really want to tell you much about because I went into it blind. I heard it was very, very good. I heard that Mary talked about her depression and that was all that I heard. So I went into it very, very blind and I loved it. I started crying around the 14 minute mark and just never stopped. Like Mary has this way of being so vulnerable, but matter of fact about the things that she's, that she thinks about herself, 
that she's thought about herself, things that have happened to her. And she just says it in such a make it plain kind of way where it just it just blows you away. But she said some things about, you know, her insecurities and her lack of confidence and sense of self that really just punched me in the heart. And I was like, I had a heart to heart with myself because I was like, yeah, I, I still struggle with some of that stuff. I knew that's why I liked Mary J. Blige music, but just to like hear her articulate it. And I was like, oh, no, you're fully aware of what you're doing and what you're saying. Not that I didn't think she was, but just to hear her say it. And then watching the concert footage, I've seen Mary J. Blige perform six, seven, eight times, once at MSG, and then for years, she closed out the Essence Music Festival. I might have missed one year, but Mary J. Blige always performs. She used to be the closer. It's 60,000 people, mostly women, in the Superdome singing along to Mary J. Blige. It's like, it's church. It's not like church, it's church. The folks be in there just laying their burdens down, crying, hands in the air. It's, it's a really actually beautiful experience of, of women communing together. And I'd taken it for granted for so long because it was just like, oh, it's Fourth of July weekend and I'm going to New Orleans. And just to be clear, I always work it. I'm always there on like some sponsor's dime. But until it was no longer an option, there was no Essence Fest in person last year and there's not one this year. And I was like, I would give anything, anything to be in New Orleans with 60,000 black women listening to Mary J. Blige right now. But it was a really, really good documentary. If you follow Mary very closely, I don't know if there's any great revelations in it. Other than Casey's album cover for when he was a kid. I didn't know he was a kid performer, but that album cover was something else. And I was like, oh, oh. I'm going to leave that alone because he was a child at the time. I knew she dated him. I think I knew their relationship was abusive. Or maybe I knew she had been in an abusive relationship and I didn't ascribe that to KC. But it talks about their relationship because that's who she was with or getting over at the time my life came out. But it's just, I don't know. It's just really good to see like Mary in her own words. I don't know that she's done that many sit down interviews over the years, not at length where she's just, you know, had a chance to like go on and be candid. Lots of written stuff. But just to hear her and see her, like, I was like, oh, no, it just reaffirmed all my love for Mary J. Blige. And I was like, oh, no, like, I love you, love you, like, love you. Andre Harrell is in the documentary. They were doing taping, obviously, before he passed away last year. Diddy's in it. Misa's in it. She gives some history about, like, the styling of Mary, especially for that first album. Taraji P. Henson, the D.C. girl, she's in it. There might be some other people, but I thought it was a really well done documentary. I saw some folks being like, I don't know why y'all crying all through this documentary. Like y'all ain't right. Something's wrong with y'all. And I was like, that's possible. That's possible. Something very well could be wrong with us. But I thought it was a really good documentary. Nonetheless, I enjoyed it. That said, I probably wouldn't watch it twice, though. It was too sad. I appreciate it for the emotional release that it gave me and for the thoughts that it inspired. And, you know, I take notes on everything so I can go back and look at my notes. It's triumphant because, you know, everything turned out okay. But it's also very, very sad. She had um, really low self-esteem for a really long time and created beautiful music out of that. But at the same time, it's like really sad that like this black woman went through so much trauma and so many black women relate to her because they've also been through so much trauma. That's a little, scary is not the right word, sad. Also didn't think I realized Mary J. Blige wrote so much of her own music or any of it. I don't think I realized Mary J. Blige was a songwriter. And she was like, yeah, I wrote this, I wrote that, I wrote this. And I was like, did you now? I had no idea. Angie's list is now Angie. And we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. The BET Awards were last night. I did not watch. I think I caught most of the highlights. I've seen what people have been talking about online. I made a point to go watch certain performances or certain moments. But I think the last time I watched the BET Awards, I I spent half the show being like, who are these people and what are they saying? I'm an old. I've accepted it and don't care. I saw Queen Latifah was being honored with the Lifetime Achievement Award, which, yes, yes, she is very well due for that. She deserves that. She earned that. I read that she thanked her wife and son, and I was like, wait, did she just come out? I'm not shocked, obviously, that she would have a wife. I had no idea she was married and had a child. Congratulations, Dana Owens. Your family is none of our business. Thank you very much for sharing that tidbit with us. Carry on and happy pride. I saw a clip of little Kim when she came onto the red carpet. And I'm going to move along in my commentary. And then I also saw a clip of little Kim performing UNITY in tribute to Queen Latifah. And I'm just going to move along with my commentary there as well. I wrote this article about little Kim maybe like eight years ago. And it was something like, give it a rest, just retire already, something like that. It was just a snarky, assholey thing to write. And it was published in a hip-hop magazine at that. So that's one of the reasons I just refrained from commentary on Little Kim. It was just an asshole thing to write. I don't really regret most of the things that I've written, but that one has always sort of stuck with me. So when it comes to commentary about Little Kim, unless I have something glowing to say, I just, I choose to shut the fuck up to atone for that article that I shouldn't have written. So I'm just going to move along now. I saw that Cardi B is preggers again, her second baby. Congratulations to her. She came out during a Migos performance. Don't ask me what song it was. I can't name you any of their songs. She had a verse, I guess, on one of the songs, but she came out with some long flowing hair down to her knees. Her face was beat for life. I follow her makeup artist. That woman is talented. Erica LaPearl, I think that's her name. She had a black cat suit with lots of glitter and her belly was exposed or at least sheer to emphasize her bump. She looked great. Or at least I hope she did. But man was like dipping it low and twirling it around. And I was like, okay. I was like, that's at least five, six months of bump, ma'am. As my mother likes to say, pregnancy is not an illness. Pregnancy is a condition. She's like, there's nothing that you can't do while pregnant if you feel good enough to do it. And then she told me that my father like chased her around the dining room table the day before I was born. And I was like, you really want to stick to the idea that like everything that you can do, you should do. Like, you don't think running around the dining room table had anything to do with like your kid being born less than 24 hours later? No correlation at all? Okay. But I'm not criticizing Cardi in any way. She looked great. If she felt good enough to do it, then goddammit, she should. Good for her. I saw Meg. I didn't watch that whole performance. I told you that song is a lot for me. Like, thought shit just, it's too much for me. But she looked good. Meg always does. 
Whoever she's got on hair, makeup, wardrobe, they always do a really good job with her. But I didn't watch her performance. I heard it was good. I heard she gave good energy. I saw the DMX tribute. I was distracted by Method Man's arms. I can't tell you anything that he said. He looked like, it's meth. Somebody asked me on Instagram, why haven't we added an MF to Method Man? Because we have like MF Michael Ealy. Why don't we have Method MF Man? Like I believe that Method Man is deserving of an MF from us. And I was like, you know what? You're absolutely goddamn right. Method Man is overdue for an MF. But I think it should be MF Method Man as opposed to like Method MF Man. I think the MF goes better at the front. So MF Method Man, I believe it works. He looks so good. Jesus. The factory coordinates. The factory coordinates. Where are more like that? With seeming good sense. Seeming. You never know how folks are behind the scenes. We don't really hear a lot of drama about Method Man though. Like even Wendy Williams came. She was like, oh yeah, 30-year-old T when he was with Wu-Tang and before he met his wife. And I'm like, well, man, two single adults consensually having the sex is not really T. I mean, like, okay, both of y'all are famous and all, but... Speaking of Wendy, what's going on with Wendy? I saw this clip the other day. Wait, did we finish talking about BET Awards? No, we're going to go back to talk about Little Nas X. I have to do this sidebar. I saw this clip the other day of Wendy interviewing the brat and she was like blatantly hitting on her and the brat shut her down all the way and Wendy was like no no I'm saying you know as a hypothetical and the brat was still like no what did she say she said something like I've never looked at you that way you're not my taste like my feelings would have been hurt if somebody said that to me privately much less on national television but I was and then Wendy didn't stop like she kept fishing for like a compliment or like a, a confirmation that they could have been. I was like, wait, is like Wendy queer? I was like, this is just a lot. But she was like blatantly coming at the brat. And the brat was just like, no, not ever, not never. It never crossed my mind. No, she wasn't necessarily rude about it, but she was firm in that it was never possibly an option. And I was like, oh, my God. I get secondhand embarrassment off the weirdest of things, but that gave me secondhand embarrassment. But Wendy's been hitting on everybody lately. Like she was clearly hitting on Gary Owen when he was on the show. I was like, this man is going through a messy divorce. You have no business for your sake and his of of entertaining this man. Wait until that divorce is final because that is a messy, messy divorce. I was like, Wendy, ma'am, this is not proper what you're doing. And you're embarrassing yourself. You ain't got to do all that, Wendy. It's good for ratings, though. She will get her ratings. So if Wendy, you know, hitting on everyone is what gets the ratings, then that's what Wendy's going to do. Because I did hear about the Brat clip and then go watch it and be like, oh, Wendy. Back to the BET Awards. Oh, Little Kim said that she would do a versus with Nicki Minaj, which a lot of people thought was very controversial, but I actually thought was kind of smart. I'd tune in for it. It seemed at one point that they might have had a little beef. I don't remember all the details of that. I want to say... At one point, Kim was like, Nikki hasn't paid enough homage to me the way that she like, you know, completely jacked my appearance and poses. I thought they had been squashed that though. I mean, I'd watch it. I would prefer a little Kim and Foxy. Now that would be a good versus. I don't think that'll ever happen though. Womp. Little Nas X. Are we being honest or are we being PC? Are we being honest? Are we being PC? Is it okay if I'm honest? I assume that's probably why you're listening anyway. Didn't love his performance as a whole. Love little Nas X. When he performed on Saturday Night Live, I thought he was a little stiff. There were so many other things that happened during that performance that it was way down on the list of things to actually speak about. You had the split pants, for one. You had this gay black man on a pole performing with all male dancers in leather or pleather, I can't remember, with parts of their ass cut out, and they're performing a song to, for, by, and about gay black men on Saturday Night Live. It was such a cultural moment, Big M, that some of the other fine points about the performance were overlooked. After Saturday Night Live happened, And there was so much controversy about it, which was completely intentional. Little Nas X says, 
I want to perform at the BET Awards. I wondered whether that would happen because I was like, I don't think the BET audience is ready. I feel like it should happen anyway because if they're not ready, they need to get ready. They're never going to be ready. So just do the shit and people can applaud or complain or whatever they want, but just let the performance happen. BET heard him, BET arranged him, and this performance happens last night. I didn't think it was his greatest performance. So first and foremost, I appreciate that the performance happened. I appreciate that this specific audience is black folks, and we're going to accept some gay folk over here. I appreciate that very, very much. I thought the dancers were great. I thought the staging was great. I thought the lighting was fine. I thought Little Nas X was just stiff. And I was like, is he just not a dancer or is he more worried about something? Thought overall the performance until like literally like the final second was very tame and conservative. I was like, you did more than the most on network television, but she got to cable and toned it down. I don't know what the, um, what's the word? Logic. Is that the right word? Choice maybe is the better word, was for that. But to me, it was noticeable. And I was like, really? Like you're toned down for BET? But I guess maybe because it's a black audience, you don't want to do too much for them because you don't know how much they can take. You got to ease them into the whole thing. I don't know if that was the logic. But it was just an okay performance until literally like the very last second where Nas turns his head and then straight tongues down a dude, which I was like, whoa. And not woe in a bad way, woe in a, now that's some shocking shit I didn't expect to happen. And the first thing I thought, I was like, oh my God, these black church folk, they heads about to fucking explode. Oh well, oh well, they'll live. I appreciate his shock value. I appreciate the way he pushes boundaries and forces people to confront their shit. Little Nas X is like a professional troll. He's so good at it. I absolutely adore him. Like in my head, I think of him as a little brother. I'm extremely protective of him. I don't want him bubble wrapped because I don't want him contained. I want him to be free, but I don't want any bad things to happen to him. I just didn't love last night's performance. Sir was stiff. I was like, you need to stretch. Maybe he was nervous. I don't know. I would say take a shot. Is he old enough to take a shot? How old is Lil Nas X? I don't want to, you know, encourage alcohol dependency either. That's not good. Oh, I have on my list Michael B. Jordan and this Juve rollout. Do I care? Do you care? I don't really care. He's changing the name due to the backlash. So people were fighting mad about the name, about him using the name Juve, him not having a connection to the Caribbean, particularly Trinidad and Tobago. And then also, I guess Michael B. Jordan, his people, and by people, I mean, comp- I mean the other owners of this brand, one of whom I read was Trini, but they clearly didn't count on the internet sleuths going to dig up the paperwork for this product and finding that Juve had been listed as a word with no definition, despite it having a very long history beginning in Trinidad. But people were pissed. I think rightfully so. I'm not mad at Michael B. Jordan trying to roll out an alcohol brand. The Rock and George Clooney have both done well with their tequila brands. So I see why Michael B. Jordan would want to do that. I feel like he's very much tracking brand-wise in the direction of a George Clooney or The Rock. But I think he was, he was the wrong person to be the face of a brand for Caribbean rum. Frankly, it should have been somebody from the Caribbean. Like, as a Black American, I can enjoy Caribbean culture. I can engage in Caribbean culture. But I think to start repping Caribbean culture, it's like the face of a rum from the Caribbean is just weird. I can invest, I can amplify, I can promote, but to be the face of it, I don't know. That strikes me as weird. I saw a lot of people talking about how it was cultural appropriation, which for some reason, black people feel that we can't appropriate other cultures. And yeah, we can and we do. And it doesn't necessarily make it right. Now, some stuff I'll give us, like, you know, braids being our birthright from Africa. Like, we all got the same hair. What you want us to do? Not braid it? Like, that makes sense. In this instance, using a name from a Caribbean island, creating this Caribbean product, and not picking a person, at least of Caribbean descent. There's like a million in Brooklyn. Like, you couldn't pick one? I didn't think that was the smartest rollout. 
And clearly it wasn't because Michael B. Jordan had to issue an apology and then they're changing the name to something else. They were like, okay, so it's not going to be Juve. Like, we hear you. We're sorry. And we're changing the name. But yeah, I want him to win at life. I like Michael B. Jordan. And I love him and Lori together. I know some people are like, this is marketing strategy. They are not for real. I was like, maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. But they're cute as fuck. I love it. I make an intentional point to go on Lori Harvey's Instagram and see if she's posted more pictures of she and Michael B. Jordan together. I love it. They're date nights. I love it. I eat that shit up. I love it. I think they're just adorable together. That's, that's it. I have no other real reason for liking them together other than they're two attractive people who I root for. I want, each, I want both of them to win. And then together, ah, it's like, what's that Beyonce lyric? Or is it a Jay-Z lyric? Something about them being apart, but they're a force when they're together. That's what Lori and Michael B. Jordan give me. They're a little force. But yeah, I hope everything works out for him. It was a bad rollout for a product. Nobody died. He apologized. Let's move on. I also have on my list, I'm not going to go too far into this. I just want to make a, a quick point here. Remember last week, I think it was Friday, we were talking about Shakari Richardson and how every week something about black women is a new target in media. You know, for like a week or two, it was bonnets. And then the week before that, it was whatever the cult leader said, because he dictates so much of conversation. The week after bonnets was Shakari Richardson. And then over the weekend, a new target emerged. Somebody was on a flight. This is what I read in the caption. It was a flight from the Dominican Republic back to Atlanta. And the video showed... I want to say 15 to 20. I think the caption said it was more than 20. Black women in wheelchairs. And the caption said they were all coming from DR where they'd gone to get BBLs, Brazilian butt lift. And it was criticizing the women and women like them for having plastic surgery. This video was circulating everywhere. I saw it a bunch of different places. It had gone viral. There was another collection that I saw of commentary about black women and BBLs and plastic surgery in general and how it was, you know, a crisis in our community. What was one of them? BBLs hit black women in 2020, like crack in the 80s, something like that. And every place that I saw this video or saw this conversation happening, the comment section was overwhelmingly negative about black women getting plastic surgery. Why don't black women appreciate their real bodies? Why are black women risking their lives to alter their bodies? Why are black women too lazy to work out? Like it was just this long list of criticisms. And I was like, oh, okay, this is what we're shifting to this week. And I saw very, very few defenses of black women. It's outrageous to me that people would act shocked about this. Years and years and years ago, when I was still a contributing editor at The Root, I wrote this piece about Tamika Harris. She had gone somewhere overseas, and she had got these Smokey Robinson blue eyes. And people were, like, ripping her apart. What were those, um, come on, from Game of Thrones? What were they called in Game of Thrones? The creatures beyond the wall, the Ice King. The frozen people beyond the wall that had those blue eyes. They said that's what Tiny looked like. And then that conversation led to all the other plastic surgery that she's had. And I was like, how dare you? How dare you ask why this woman has had surgeries after y'all spent a decade and more tearing her down about her appearance? I don't need to make a list of the things people said. You heard it the same way I heard it. But people constantly made fun of this woman for her appearance. And they looked at her and they looked at her husband and they said, how can he be so fine and be with somebody who looks like her? Which is a horrible thing to say to someone, which is what people are doing when they comment on people's personal pages on their photos. Rude as fuck. But so many people were constantly tearing this woman down. Then she goes and gets surgery to correct the things that you have told her are flaws. And then you criticize her for not having high self-esteem and giving in to reigning notions of black beauty. And I specifically say black beauty because our beauty standards are very different than other groups. But like you tell her she's ugly and she's not shit for years and years and years. And then when she hears you and agrees with you, you tell her she has low self-esteem and that she shouldn't have gone to fix the things that you said were wrong with her. 
what the fuck? And that's exactly the same thing that I feel like is happening with this BBL shaming. It's not new. Folks been mad about black women getting plastic surgery since they found out black women were getting plastic surgery. But this video circulating has turned it into a much louder conversation because people are having the same conversation in different spaces at the same time. But it's like you've complained for years that black women are overweight, that black women don't take care of themselves, that black women are unattractive, that black women are manly looking. So when black women go get surgeries to be more attractive, after you've told them for years that they're unattractive, you tell them that they have low self-esteem and that they're shallow and superficial and that you like natural bodies. You don't like natural bodies. You don't. Because if you did, you wouldn't have been shaming black women all these years for their natural bodies. It doesn't make sense. All of it, whether it's Shikari's hair and nails, whether it's bonnets, whether it's BBLs, like all of it is really at its core about a hatred of black women. You don't like shit that black women do just because it's black women doing it. That's it. Weaves, add that in there too. You want to be able to tell black women you're not shit and you don't ever want them to be able to do anything to address it. You just want them to sit there and feel like shit. God forbid they have feelings. God forbid they have insecurities. God forbid they try to change something to make themselves more, not even likable, lovable. Because that's really what it is. It's not just about being liked. It's about being seen as worthy. And absolutely, there's tons of people that go get BBLs or other surgeries and they do it because they want to do it. I'm sitting up here with whole braces on my teeth. No one ever said a word to me about them. I hated the way my teeth looked, so I got them fixed. Totally, for similar reasons, black women Go and do whatever procedure they want to their bodies because that's their business and that's their right to do. It has nothing to do with wanting to be attractive to a man. I'm acknowledging that. There are also black women who go and have surgeries precisely for that reason. Because we've created this culture and it's always been this way. It's just more magnified as of late where we have no value for black women except for sex and service. Sex in this context is more or less based on what you look like. Like after decades of telling black women, this is why you're not attractive. This is why we go date white women. Make a long list of reasons, but it all boils down to you're not good enough. And then black women go try to fix it. And then you beat them up for that shit too. You gotta be kidding me. Like as someone rightfully pointed out, BBLs are invasive surgery. Like you're having a real surgery. Like you're putting your life at risk in order to have a flatter stomach and a bigger ass. Does that not read as kind of crazy to anyone else? Like that you would put your life at risk to be deemed more attractive, whether it's by you or whether it's by society or both. Your life at risk. There's more at play there than vanity. It's about worth. That's really scary. And just to reiterate, it's your body. You should do whatever you want with it. If you want to go have a surgery, go have a surgery. Please don't do it for cheap. This is one of those occasions where you want the best that money can buy. Like, I want you to survive the surgery, but I also want you to look like as natural as possible. At least proportioned. I want you to have a surgeon who's good at surgery, but also can create some good art. I'm just saying. But I'm really sick of folks who are like, I don't understand why they're doing this. I don't understand why so many black women. I don't really understand. BBL, surgeries, lipo. Like, I don't understand. How could you not? America, we are endowed by our creator, with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Last but certainly not least, I've calmed down since the beginning of this episode. Monique has, for the last few weeks, been very outspoken about this black woman with bonnets issue. By the time she made her first video about it, the issue was really kind of dead. She was late jumping into the conversation, but she jumped in late and then she gave it new life. And then she amplified it beyond the people who were already discussing it on social media. So she did 
one video denouncing bonnets and then she did a second video doubling down denouncing bonnets, which, you know, I'm a woman with many opinions. Monique is also a woman with many opinions. I may disagree with some of them, but I respect her right to have them. Like she says, this is what I think. I say, I don't agree, but I respect her right to, you know, have an opinion that differs than mine and, and say what she wants to say. Over the weekend, somebody sent her a picture of a plus size black woman who was in the airport. She had what appears to be a plastic bag over her head. I'm going to assume there was some rain involved. I don't really see a black woman just like putting a plastic bag over her head for no reason. A bonnet, because you feel like it. A plastic bag, it's a bit much. And she had on, it seemed like a dress that had, that rode up on one side and boy shorts on underneath. I couldn't tell if it was a long tank top or a short dress. Um, But someone snapped a picture of the woman from behind and it was circulating on social media. And Monique, who has a million followers, decided to post the picture of the woman on her page. And the caption was something, I'll pull it up. I don't want to, I don't want to miss. She said, hey, beautiful queens, no shaming. If this is the best you can do, no judgment, do you. This was sent to me as an example of what we're talking about that goes on in our community. However, if this is not your best, then do better. Being that ultimately the decision either way is yours. I love us for real. Despite the the no shaming calls and the, the no judgment, if this is not your best, do better. What she did, essentially, she posted this picture showing a woman dressing in a way that Monique has previously called out or ridiculed. She puts this on her page to a million people and the effect is exactly what you would expect it to be. Like people start criticizing, shaming and judging the woman. There are over 23,000 comments on this post right now. I would say half of them are agreeing with Monique and the other half of them, which I fall into, I didn't comment on her page, but I saw the picture and was like, what the fuck? are like, yo, this is cyberbullying. Take this shit down. To which Monique has not. I didn't scroll through all 23,000 comments, obviously. So when I say half is this, half is that, it's just on what I scrolled. I want to say probably about 200 comments or so. To say that you support black women, to say that you love black women, like it's more than just saying the shit. If you love black women, if you want no harm for black women, then one of the things that you must do is not be harmful to black women. And to take this picture of this woman and post it on your page for a million people to, to see, to judge, is not okay. Like, it's really actually fucked up and very harmful. And I think if it was anyone but a black woman doing it, we'll be able to see it and call it for the cyberbullying that it is. Because it's a black woman, because it's Monique, and, and you don't like bonnets, people are justifying this shit. It doesn't really matter what the fuck you have on. This respectability politics that we like to play into as if it's going to save us from white supremacy or racism or, or bias or whatever else, it doesn't fucking work. Dress up because you want to dress up. Be presentable, quote and unquote, because you feel like being that way. But to think it's going to like get you better treatment, yeah. But people keep tying this thing between like a black woman's appearance and whether a black woman is worthy of respect. And like, what if I told you that a black woman or any person even who is minding their business and not being disrespectful is worth you meeting the baseline of respect. And by that, I mean that although this woman was in public and you might have had a right to take her picture, it doesn't mean it was the right thing to do to take this picture, to share it around the internet. And if you saw this picture, to post it on your page. People send me crazy shit all day, every day. Like my DMs are full of people forwarding me shenanigans, people falling, people doing dumb shit, people high out their minds doing stupid shit, like all day long, steady stream. I'll post random stuff to celebrate people, but just like to just specifically post a picture and have no purpose really whatsoever than shaming someone. I remember I posted something once about She wasn't Mrs. Idris Elba at the time. They were engaged. I think they went to the royal wedding and I posted something about her outfit. I made a point to say that she's she's a very beautiful woman and I'm happy about her engagement, but her outfit really wasn't the best. Someone I respect pulled me aside at the time. It was like, I'm not telling you you're wrong. She worked in fashion and beauty. She said, I'm not telling you that you're wrong for saying it. She was like, I'm not telling you that you're wrong for thinking it. 
She was like, you have to be mindful of your platform. You're not like a starting out blogger anymore. You don't have just like 100 followers. You have like 100,000. You've got an actual platform and you need to be more responsible with it. Saying that this woman should have worn a better outfit, you don't need to say it. Let somebody else do that. You have a platform. Use it to say something notable. And I was like, okay. Monique has a platform. She's had one way longer than mine. And I hope that someone who knows her and cares for her in the way that that person in my life did for me, because I didn't get it, pulls her aside and was like, auntie, I know you auntie. I know you grown. I see your gray hair. I respect your maturity. I respect your, your age. I respect your wisdom. But I hope that someone pulls her aside and says, just because you can say dumb shit, just because you can post shaming shit, doesn't mean you should. It doesn't mean you have to. Everything you can do, you don't need to do. It's okay to exercise a little restraint. It's also okay to have a group chat. A lot of the stuff people get in hot water about on the internet is because they don't have a group chat. The group chat saves my life. Now, if the group chat ever became public, I'm fucked. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm just going to tell y'all I said that shit in the group chat, and everybody better understand what that means. I had enough good sense not to say it publicly. I said it privately to a close circle of friends and family, either by blood or relation. You don't have to say everything that you think. Some of your thoughts are best left in the group chat. I'm just saying. One more thing I wanted to say about Monique, and I'm trying to figure out the, the bestest PC way to say this possible. This bonnet tirade that Monique has been on for like the last month or so. I'm taking a beat because I want to phrase this properly. Even though I'm not the most PC person, I do make an intentional effort not to unintentionally cause harm. Now, sometimes I'm very intentional about that shit. And you know, I got a mouth on me, especially when I'm mad and I go for the jugular. That's not what I'm trying to do here. One of the things that I fail most to understand about this Monique situation is that she's picked up this respectability politics thing about the presentation of black women. And she's decided to specifically harp on this bonnet thing. And it's not lost on me that Monique used to do a show on VH1 called Charm School. And I remember when she was chosen at the host, everybody was like, Monique? I don't know if at the time we knew that she did or did not shave her legs, but Monique always seemed like an odd choice for Charm School. Fast forward to now. She's making these like very intentional digs at the way that black women present. It's not lost on me that there are other aspects about Monique that do not fit into the quote unquote respectability of black women. Like just before we started talking about Monique and these bonnets, we were talking about black women in BBLs and how black women's femininity and desirability, mostly for men who kind of hate women. And there are very two specific tenets that black men who, who define what black women's beauty is supposed to be is that they're not fat and that they're submissive. Now, Monique might have got the submissive thing down. She likes to call her husband daddy. That's they shit. That's they business. It's not the end of the world. If that's what you want to call your husband, I ain't got nothing to do with their marriage. Do what y'all do. But it's like you don't play into the idea of beauty and respectability because of your weight. And Monique has lost a ton of weight, but she's still by all means considered a plus size woman by any definition. How do you, having the appearance of someone who doesn't meet the reigning definition of black beauty and respectable black beauty at that, then to turn around and make fun and shame the physical appearance of other women who don't fall into definitions of black beauty, but just in a different way. Like if a lot of these women took their bonnets off, they might meet the standard of black beauty. You in a bonnet or without don't meet the standard. So how do you shame these women? And one of these days, one of these bonnet women are going to come back at you and they're going to point out your very visible fupa. And you're going to be pissed. You're going to say that's wrong. She shouldn't have said that. That was mean. Well, yes, you too have been mean. And it won't be right. It will be even. But it's just like how you with the fupa be out here talking about the women with the bonnets. Y'all are both not playing into respectability politics. 
It's kind of like when Umar Johnson and the cult leader were beefing and people were like, which side you got? I'm like, they both hate black women, but for different reasons. You want me to choose? Oh, well, he hates me because this versus you hate me because that. I should choose? Both of y'all can burn in hell. Like, come on, sis. Come on. You don't meet the version of respectability politics while crying about other people not playing into respectability politics. Do you honestly not see the irony, the hypocrisy, the fucked upness of it all? Is it me? It's not just me. I know I got some blind spots. I do. But if I'm out here doing anything that's blatant, pull me aside before I get on the internet causing fucking harm. That's not what I'm trying to be. I don't want to be harmful. I don't mind being an asshole. I don't mind being snarky. I don't mind being rude. But I don't want to cause harm. That's my episode for this week. If you've not picked up your Don't Waste Your Pretty merch on DemetriaLLucas.com, please do so. We still have the pink and red tees, only in two X's though. There's only a couple of those left. And then we have the white and gold tees and the white and gold V's plus mugs. I told y'all the Ratchet and Respectable merch is not going to happen anytime soon because I am going on a vacation. I am going on an odyssey. And that's all I'm really thinking about right now. We'll get back to that in the fall. If you need some Ratchet and Respectable in your life between now and Friday, please follow me at Demetria L. Lucas on Twitter, Instagram, maybe Facebook if they haven't banned me again. You see, I'm bitter about that. I'm going to bring it up every time I mention Facebook. That's everything. Also, thank you to you all. There's been like an influx of people writing in to tell me their thoughts and feelings about the podcast. I don't know why y'all are doing that. I'm not mad at it. But I'm like, what did I say that everyone's like writing in all of a sudden? Maybe I told y'all to write in. I be recording this podcast. but And as soon as I'm done editing, I wipe everything that I wrote out of my mind. And I literally start taking notes for the next episode to make sure we cover everything. And I know we ain't talk about that essay. Now it's like a running joke. You want to know why I haven't talked about it? There's a transgender issue at the, at the heart of the essay. And I'm not sure if my point of view is something that should be shared publicly or is something for the group chat. Like, I think I have the right point of view on this one, but I'm not sure. And part of what's talked about in Adichie's essay is that This cancel culture prohibits people from thinking out loud and developing their thoughts for fear of being shunned for not saying the quote unquote correct or PC thing. One of the things that I'm struggling with is I'm not sure if my thought process is accurate. I'm not sure if it's PC and I'm not trying to be canceled because I don't adhere to the right point of view. Does that make sense? And I don't think what I'm saying at all is anti-trans, but I also don't think that some people who've expressed their thoughts publicly thought their thoughts were. I think they thought they were saying the correct thing. And there are certain groups right now that you just can't talk about unless you fall perfectly in line. It leads to an outcry. And personally, I just don't want those problems. So I struggle with talking about this essay because, like I just said, I'm fine with being rude. I'm fine with being an asshole. I'm fine with being kind of cunty but I definitely don't want to cause harm. So I actually think it might be better for me just to like STFU and not address the issue at all. I will at some point, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Okay, that's everything. We'll talk again on Friday. Okay, bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. 
it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.